Are you ready to be connected? You're listening to the Insured Connection Podcast by Pica Group, a pro-assurance company, where we provide expert advice for your practice when you need it most. We connect you with industry leaders to discuss timely topics so you can listen, learn, and get back to caring for your patients. Now, let's connect. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode of the Insured Connection, a Pica Group podcast. Today, we have the pleasure of having Amy Lipkis, an attorney at law, and Dr. Jeffrey Crowhurst with us. Thank you guys for uh, joining us. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. As we dive into our topic of telehealth today, Dr. Crowhurst and Amy, how would you guys describe the pros and cons of telehealth? Well, I'd say that for, for me, the, the pros were during the uh, early portion of the pandemic when I couldn't see the patient, uh, it became very helpful because, you know, when you have patients that you're constantly treating and all of a sudden someone says, you know, March 21st, you can't see patients anymore. You have to have that continuity of care. So uh, telehealth definitely was very convenient for those patients to, hey, I can still make a connection with them, especially with the established patients that might be under, you know, post-op care or wound care. So I thought that was uh, a big thing. And, you know, underserved areas, you know, actually I'm out in more of a rural area outside of Chicago. So it helped too, because, you know, people travel a distance to see me, you know, 20, 30, 40 miles. Yeah, I'll touch on uh, the cons uh, a little more. Um, The issues that I see most frequently are those involving the fact that you can't examine the patient. You can't take the temperature um, of the patient, know any vital signs. You can't tell if the left foot feels cooler than the right foot. You can't measure wounds. You can't smell to see if there's any type of malodor. Um, You can't perform tests like x-rays, can't take a culture. And so there's a lot of risk involved with a telehealth consult just because you can't lay your two hands on the patient's feet. And your attorney, should you get sued, would really want to have that fact um, in evidence to be able to argue to the jury that you laid your hands on their feet to be able to examine them because it it certainly makes you seem more prudent, more competent. Um, You know, the other issue that I have with it is software um, and pixelation issues. You know, what color red is is the patient actually experiencing? What, What are you actually seeing uh, on the photo and how different is it from what is actually present in the patient's home on the patient's foot that you would you know, see differently if the patient presented to your office? Because red is a finicky color and sometimes it can appear more purpley, sometimes it can appear a little less bright red um, and you don't have the luxury of being able to distinguish those things uh, by way of telehealth. So those are just you know, a couple of cons, obviously security risks are another. Want to receive a monthly newsletter with topics from the Insured Connection? Head over to pikagroup.com forward slash insured connection and join our email list to have it delivered right to your inbox. Can you guys provide some examples of some cases that you may have seen or you've had the opportunity to work on um, where telehealth has played a big role, whether that be negatively or positively? Well, my, yeah, my case, absolutely. yeah, yeah, I, I, I've had uh, patients that, you know, uh, early on where I was able to take it, take a photo, they could send me a photo. Uh, and then you could take a look at the, the problem and determine, you know, do I need to see this patient? Do I not need to see this patient? 
Uh, I had one case where actually the, the patient had an infected uh, gray toe and uh, the physical therapist was actually going to the house. So I was able to rely on the physical therapist observation and they said this toe was getting bad. So they asked me if I hey, make a house call and I actually went to the patient's house and did a house call. So based on the telehealth. So because we realized how serious this problem was getting, the patient was diabetic with very poor circulation. And if I ignored the fact that they needed uh, a procedure done in, in the uh, house, that uh, if I didn't do that, the, the problem was actually gonna get worse. So I, I am the Debbie Downer here. Um, basically, you know, from a, a med mal standpoint, which is my perspective as a, a medical malpractice defense attorney, um, you know, one of the cases that I'm going to be discussing in the course of my uh, telehealth lecture is a family friend who presents to podiatrists with ankle pain. And there's a five-year history of, you know, ankle injuries due to sports. And basically, you know, the doc is thinking that there's an osteochondral lesion and he wants the patient just to go ahead and have lots of rest and uh, limited weight bearing and, you know, do the, the right conservative care mechanism for about four to six weeks. And I get the case and I'm, I'm looking and not understanding as to how we went from four to six weeks of conservative care to suddenly an ankle scope performed to find this osteochondral defect. And I have no documentation in between. A, B, from a telehealth standpoint, post-op, the patient starts sending the podiatrist multiple photos of her foot and in a, in a couple of the angles, there almost looks like there's a ring of fluid around the ankle um, and in, in the patient's, on the patient's leg and on the patient's foot, there's some discoloration and it's a little unclear as to what color it is. And so ultimately, you know, the podiatrist gets, gets sued for not actually telling the patient to go to the emergency room or seeing the patient or you know, having the patient go to some medical provider to get care. Um, and so it's, it's a problem from that standpoint, you know, with respect to telehealth. I mean, if the patient had come into the office, there's a number of tests that could have been performed. Uh, we'd have clarity as to whether there in fact was this ring around the ankle or, or, or not. Um, and you know, the, the patient did end up having uh, an infection and um, uh, she sued. So, um, this is the type of thing that we see from a telehealth standpoint that I'll be covering in the lecture a little bit more thoroughly. If I can add to that, so if it's, you know, and I, I'll be guilty of this is just like anybody else, you treat a family member or a friend, you know, I'm not, I'm probably not documenting like I should. I'm probably thinking, well, I can just put a little note in here. I saw them on Tuesday, they'll be fine. And then you find out later on, you know, well, wait a minute, they got upset with you. And now I have nothing as far as documentation to back me up. And I, I could see that as a potential problem, especially in this case where it sounds like the doctor didn't document all the symptoms before he started to decide to do an ankloscope and didn't have anything to go on. So it's kind of putting yourself out there uh, on a limb and basing it on a friendship. So. Yeah, and the, the family friend poses a number of issues, you know, and especially from a telehealth standpoint, too, because, you know, you're probably going to be more likely to do telehealth consults or allow your, your family friend just to send you a photo via text or FaceTime you, even 
outside of the COVID era. Um, and so consequently, you know, your documentation does need to sort of explain your thought process and your thinking. And a lot of people get a little, um, I, I hate to say the word lazy, but I guess a little uh, uncareful uh, with respect to documentation issues uh, in the telehealth setting. So with that being said, what is some advice moving forward with documentation? Well, you want me to go my, first? I'll go first. So from my perspective uh, for telehealth, uh, from a coding perspective, you know, if you're going to bill any a private insurance company or Medicare or Medicaid for telehealth, if they do an audit and see you don't have the typical documentation that they require for a telehealth visit, basically, you know, when you, the, the time you started that visit, the time you ended that visit, and everything in between that you document, okay, I talked to the patient about these issues. They gave me their chief complaint. They gave me their subjective findings as best as they could. I, I, on their objective, I looked at their photo that they sent me. Or they, I looked at a video they sent me, and I, I, I'm putting that down into a chart type format so that down the road, if something ever comes back as far as an audit, then the third party pair says, oh, okay, you, you actually did this. Because I'm telling you right now, you know, because one of my other hats I wear, I work with Medicare in the state of Illinois, and they're gonna audit this. They're gonna audit this like crazy, I think, because I think people were overbilling and committing fraud from that point of view. But from a medical legal uh, point of view, I'll let uh, Amy talk about that. Well, uh, I think Dr. Crowhurst will agree with me when I say I am insatiable when it comes to the amount of documentation I would like to see in cases. I literally want every single detail charted. I want every last detail. I want photos and screenshots of the wound. If you're doing a telehealth consult, I want that in the chart so that you can show exactly what the foot looked like, what, you know, the, the lower portion of the leg looked like to show, you know, the appearance that actually existed at the time you saw the patient, because it's going to be the patient's word against yours. So the more you document, the more details you have in there, the more your lawyer can defend you and defend the care that was provided. Um, I also highly recommend that you get an intake form from the patient, a separate intake form relative to that telehealth visit that they need to somehow electronically submit. I know that that's a big ask because I know for some patients that really is going to be difficult, especially if they're older. Do your best, even if you have to have a person from your office contact that patient by way of phone. Get some sort of intake form that basically the patient is able to agree to. I'd rather have it in the patient's words so that you can throw it up on a board and show the jury exactly what the patient said so that you know it's very clear what representations were made, what complaints the patient had on the, on the visit and what they didn't say. Um, but worst case scenario, fine, have your office staff take it down. And so that you have you know, an MA that's putting down information that the patient is reporting to them. And then you also have a doctor that's putting some, something into the note relative to the patient's complaints. Then at least you have two sources of information to work with where if the stories align and the MA and the podiatrist have the same set of facts, essentially, the same, you know, chief complaint by the patient, you're, you're good to go, at least because then you have two people corroborating the story, especially if you did your documentation the same day. That's a huge issue. Please. I know I'm unrealistic when I say this because I know many of you look at me like I'm nuts, but 
do this documentation on the day that you see the patient. It's really going to help you in the long run. Plus, you're going to get more facts contained in there, more details that you'll remember. And make sure, by the way, that you're transferring the photos um, or screenshots that you're taking off of your phone into the patient's chart. And once you've saved it into the patient's chart, delete it from your phone so that you don't get some type of PHI, HIPAA violation later on, especially after COVID is, is done and a lot of the things return to the um, way they were before COVID and the laws concerning, you know, those types of communication. So can I follow Did up? I cover everything? Yeah. But oh, yeah. Follow, so, so say if the patient's older, so what if their spouse, a uh, family member or a caretaker is the, the source of that? And so from a medical legal point of view, is that going to be an issue later on at the, that, you know, maybe information they gave, they can, they could actually be a witness against you as far as what they thought they gave you. I mean, is that, is that an issue? Well, let me ask you, is the, the person that's providing the history, are they, I mean, why are they the ones providing the history? Is the patient unable to communicate? In well, this hypothetical? Yeah, the, right. Well, they're either uh, unable to communicate or uh, the, 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 the person's in the room with them. And they're adding their own little comments and saying, "Oh yeah, yeah, my mom doesn't remember this. She had, she had foot surgery back in, uh, you know, 2007, and she lost, the, you know, this." And so, I mean, is th is that acceptable? And do you put that into your documentation? Yeah, I want that all in there. I want it. So, so typically, I, I will just say when I depose medical providers, and I think when other people depose medical providers, based on all the depositions I've attended and the trial testimony, um, people will ask. Specifically, you know, is, is the, the soap note, the subjective history, is that all from the patient? And typically doctors will say yes, but most, more likely than not, it all came from the patient or maybe it came from, you know, other medical records in the hospital, depending on how you're seeing the patient. But um, bottom line, you really want that information to be from the patient and anything that's not from the patient, if there's add-ons by the wife, um, because we tend to... Uh, you know, provide a little more detail than men sometimes. Um, you know, if there's add-ons, stick it in the notes, put it in there and make sure that you're just indicating who it came from so that you've got a source. And that's great too, because then when you depose the wife, you can say, well, wait a second, you said, you said X at the time of this care and treatment. Now you're saying Y at the time of your deposition. You're telling two different stories. So the more you document the better it is. And frankly, whether the patient's being seen in the office, out of the office, however it's happening, you want to make note of exactly who is present at every single visit, whether it be telehealth, whether it be in your office, because it is very helpful to know that uh, later on, assuming that there's a lawsuit involved. And I know that that's an extra piece of information, but um, you'd be surprised how many of these suits have, have additional support because a plaintiff claims that her mother was present for the visit or her sister was present for the visit and they just corroborate every single piece of evidence that the plaintiff is presenting. They, you know, they're not gonna back up the doc, I can assure you of that. So it, it's really helpful for you to actually make note of who is present, even if it's a telehealth visit, same rule applies in my opinion. Thank you both. I think this has been a great conversation so far. As we begin to wrap up this episode, what are some practical tips for our listeners today? I would say that to me, uh, some of the practical thing is 
think of the things that are going to get you in, in real trouble, like delayed or misdiagnosis for an infection, you know, cancer, skin cancer, or a cancer uh, of the bone, or a DVT. You know, those are the things that, you know, probably keep most podiatrists up at night and keep most attorneys up at night trying to defend podiatrists that miss those diagnoses because that's going to be a real problem. So those are the things I focus on. If you're, so if you're doing telehealth, make sure that if there's anything suspicious that you see on that foot, that you'd say, well, you know what? I'm not quite sure. You know, patient, you need to go to, yeah, I need to see you in the office or I need to send you to the hospital. You need to go to the ER. Those are great points. And um, failure to diagnose is going to be the number one uh, category of lawsuit that we're going to see from telehealth visits. We'll, we'll probably see them, you know, much more present in, in 2021 and 2022 um, than, you know, we have previously just because telehealth has increased so much during COVID. Um, I think if you are going to engage in telehealth, I think you need to ensure that the patient is an established patient. Uh, before allowing a telemedicine uh, consult to proceed, um, I think you need to make sure that the patient actually gives a detailed history, as we were talking about with the intake form, get them to sign some type of form indicating what their chief complaints are. Um, I think it's also really useful to have them sign some type of sample consent form. I have a, an outline of one um, in the presentation uh, in, this, in this lecture that I think is really useful to get them to sign, you know, and try to make sure that you're, you're shortening the time of return. You know, if you ordinarily would want to see the patient back in six weeks, have them come back in three weeks. Uh, if it would ordinarily be a two week visit, have them come back in one. I mean, make, make the liability less for yourself so that you're seeing the patient, you know, and you're, you're basically going back and forth between having a telehealth visit and then having the patient actually come into the office. Because I think that that protects yourself a little bit more so that you're actually getting a good glance at the wound and you're able to perform tests in the office, you know, but you're not able to do uh, by way of telehealth. Thank you both for joining us today. We really appreciate your time and the insights that you're able to provide today on telehealth. Um, as we wrap up, Dr. Crowhurst is on the Midwest Podiatric Conference Committee, and Amy is one of the four lecturers that Pike is proud to present at the upcoming virtual Midwest Podiatric Conference, um, June 17th through 20th. Please be sure to take a listen to these lectures and more. And that's it for this week's episode, but let's continue connecting. If you're enjoying the Insured Connection, don't forget to leave a review on your streaming platform and subscribe now so you can connect with us each time we post a new episode. To stay connected with us throughout the week and to tell us topics we should discuss on future episodes, go to pikagroup.com forward slash insured connection.